Coming up, it's philosophy talk. Hello there. What is wisdom? This is 2,000 years talking to you from the depths of back there when we was. Now I'm still and they not. <laughs> Isn't wisdom what knowledge becomes when it's forced to account for itself? Could you give us the secret of your longevity? Well, the major thing is that I never, ever touch fried food. <laughs> How does wisdom differ from mere knowledge? We were very dumb and stupid. <laughs> you want to know something? We were so dumb that we didn't even know who was a lady. <laughs> our guest is Valerie Tiberius, author of The Reflective Life, Living Wisely with Our Limits. It's been a thrill living for 2,000 years, and eat our nectarine is the best fruit ever made. Wisdom, coming up on Philosophy Talk. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm John Perry. And I'm Ken Taylor. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that began at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus. And today our conversation is about wisdom. What is it? How can we cultivate it? Where has all the wisdom gone? Once upon a time, John, especially in the ancient world, philosophers thought a lot about the nature of wisdom. That was true almost by definition, Ken, that the two Greek words philo and sophia, from which our word philosophy is derived, literally mean love of wisdom. For some Greek philosophers, wisdom was the be-all and end-all of philosophy. Nobody represents this better than Socrates, the founding father of Western philosophy. Socrates launched a lifelong quest for wisdom after being told by the oracle at Delphi that he was the wisest man at Athens. Socrates couldn't see for the life of him how the oracle could be right, since he knew he hungered for wisdom, but he didn't think he had any. But there were lots of people in Athens who did regard themselves as wise, and Socrates thought to himself, well, surely they must really be wise. At any rate, they're wiser than me. So Socrates adopted the role of being a student eager to learn from his superiors, and he set out to question all the wise men of Athens. And he quickly discovered that despite the fact that they all professed to be wise, none of them really were. Most of them didn't know anything at all. And that helped Socrates to finally understand what that oracle had meant. At least he, Socrates, knew one thing, that he was not wise. That alone gave him a leg up on the self-declared wise men. You know, Ken, that's a sort of a paradoxical kind of wisdom. It suggests that being wise is a matter of knowing what you don't know. But look, I know that I don't know who will win the next presidential election. That may make me depressed, but it doesn't make me wise. Yeah, I, I take your point, but knowing what you don't know can be the beginning of wisdom. Maybe so, but surely not all of wisdom. You know, I also think that what Socrates is talking about is really a kind of epistemic humility. You can't be wise if you arrogantly overestimate the power of your own beliefs and judgments. You need to have the humility, the epistemic humility, to listen and learn, to give other voices their due. Well, I'm not sure humility was what Socrates was thinking of or all of it, but there certainly is a long tradition in Christianity about thinking of wisdom in terms of humility. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. That's Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2. Yeah, according to Christianity, 
all wisdom ultimately flows from God. And the way for someone to be wise, for a human to be wise, is to be attuned to God's will. Arrogance and pride make us want to substitute mere human wisdom for the real thing. But you know what? That's what Adam and Eve did, and it got us all in trouble. So, okay, humility is a good thing. I don't doubt it. But there's more to wisdom than humility. I mean, humility, after all, is a negative virtue. It tells you what not to do. Don't be an arrogant ass. Wisdom is a positive virtue. It tells you how to live, how to behave, how to feel about things. I, I get your point. Think Aristotle. For Aristotle, wisdom involved a kind of know-how, an affirmative skill. Not a narrowly focused skill, like being a good basketball player or a shrewd marketer, but a wide-ranging skill at living, at doing the things that are most characteristic of a distinctively human life. Things like making decisions and choices and regulating your emotional responses. That's, that's what Aristotle called practical wisdom, or phronesis, to use a fancy Greek word. There seems to me something very right about Aristotle's basic view. Wise people are people who know things, to be sure, things that matter, and people who can put that knowledge to good use in practice. But what exactly do the wise know that the rest of us schmucks don't? Is there a formula for becoming wise? And if there is a formula, then why doesn't somebody just write it down once and for all and be done with it? And if there is no formula, no rules or principles to study, then how in the world do we cultivate wisdom in the first place? Good questions all, John. And in a little bit, we'll take them up with our guest, Valerie Tiberius, author of The Reflective Life, living wisely with our limits. And we'll want a little help from our very wise listening audience as well. But first, our roving philosophical reporter, Caitlin Esch, seeks wisdom from people who have lived long enough to acquire some. She files this report. My great-grandmother used to say, you can love a rich man as much as you can love a poor one. I didn't exactly follow that advice, but it seems wise. Agesong Lake Merritt is an independent living community for seniors in Oakland, California. There's a bottomless mimosa brunch, a full bar that's popular with the seniors during cocktail hour, and a piano that plays itself. Uh, wisdom for me is learning from your life experiences, especially how to forget and forgive. I think it's the outcome of many, many experiences. Betty Gorin is one of five older women at Agesong who wanted to talk about the wisdom she's accumulated over the decades. We also heard from Norma Yaglegian. I don't think I could give advice to young people except be more accepting, be more tolerant, think a little bit before you speak, and think of the other person. I'm Helen Moss. Develop your own inner resources and ability to be flexible and independent so you can survive all this. Because I can't imagine uh, some of the challenges that are coming for the next generations. My name is Cynthia Hall. I think in giving advice to younger people, I would start out by saying, be independent, be your own person. I wanted more than anything else to fly. And in those days, flying for women was crazy. You know, no, no woman would really want to fly an airplane. But I did, more than anything else, and I did it. But you've got to be independent. You've got to do things for yourself, as well as do them for your husband and for your children and for your mother and father. The wisest person I have ever known, I think, was a man named Manuel Sanguesa, who was a Spaniard. He had great control over his own life. He smoked 
when the time came for him to stop smoking because it was destroying his lungs, he put the pack of cigarettes down on his nightstand and left them there with an easy reach of his hand and never touched them again. The older I get, the more assertive I get, whether people like it or not. But I'm much happier. I'm Florence Siegel. You can tell by my accent that I'm from New York. I can't pretend that I'm happy being older. I'm wiser, uh, but I'm finding the more physical limitations I have very upsetting. But it, there's no question that this wisdom, it's too bad it took so long to come. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Caitlin Esch. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.